Welcome to Christ Community Church. <laughs> I'm just smiling at people that I'm happy to see. Um, glad you're here today. Bless you. Bless you for being with us. Bless the Lord for bringing you here. And bless the Lord for what He's got in store for us. I love that um, phrase, Christopher, that we find our strength in the shadow of His wings. wonder what that is talking about. wonder what that means. That we, it doesn't say that He strengthens us. It says that we find our strength in the shadow of His wings. That's an interesting idea. I'm just... That's, that's worth a long walk <laughs> or uh, sitting on the back porch with a cup of coffee, pondering that. Um, hello. Hello. Happy to see you. Yeah. So glad you're here. Um, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I'm happy to be in your house. I'm happy to be among your people. I'm happy to be somewhere where there is such potential for my life to be changed for good. I'm happy to be in a place where there's such potential for there to be change in the lives of those that I really love. I ask you today, not because I'm good or we're good, but just because you're good, I ask you, out of your goodness, to please touch us. Touch us with the fingers that created the mountains and dug out the holes where now the oceans dwell. God, let us hear your voice and recognize and know that it's you speaking. That voice that spoke the universe into being. I'd like to hear that voice today in a clear and undeniable and unforgettable way. That is the desire of my heart and I believe that it is your desire as well. And so please, have your way in our lives, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we're in the middle of a multi-week series study. Uh, we have one more, and then we'll move on to something else. But uh, we're in the middle of a study right now of Exodus for all practical purposes, at this point in the study, we're looking at Exodus 34, verse 6, just to make it short. And that is where God reveals himself to Moses. Moses is in a cave. He's crying out to God for mercy and um, on behalf of his people. And uh, God comes in a storm and he speaks. Speaks five qualities. He declares five qualities for the very first time to humanity, to his people, uh, because he wants them to know this is who I am at my core. I'm lots of things, but I, at my core, I'm these five things. And he he says, uh, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God of compassion and a God of graciousness. I'm slow to anger, 
and I am abundant or full or overflowing with covenant love is the phrase that I like and that's what we're going to talk about today and with faithfulness. And um, we've looked so far at what it means when God says that I am a God of compassion. And the, the basic idea is that when I see you, when I look at you, what I, what I feel is I feel for you like a, a, a mom, a, a young mom feels about her newborn baby. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, however that works, that's how I feel about you. We looked at the, the declaration that God made that I am a God of graciousness. And that um, that's not so much a, a feeling word like compassion as it is it's, a, it's an intellectual word. It's a mental word. It's a, it's a word that communicates that when I see you, I see something of value. Something of delight. It's really the word delight. I see you and it makes me delighted. And I respond accordingly. Like if I... Um, I've driven my wife crazy, well, for a long time, but in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, um, I loved going to antique shops. And I love everything old, um, but uh, there's a couple of things that I really love. And when I walk into an antique shop and I look up on a shelf and I see a really good piece of Staffordshire or a really good piece of Majelica, they're... Uh, uh, porcelain or china from Europe and I really and I'm filled with delight and I don't just go oh that's pretty I move toward them it that delight is not just something I by experience it draws me and my wife's right behind me going don't buy that don't buy that don't buy that and so she's trying to thwart what my delight is drawing me to do that's the word graciousness. God sees us and He is filled with delight. And that delight, that value, makes Him respond or move toward us accordingly. Last week, or the last two weeks, we looked at God's declaration that I am slow of anger. That's a big idea. It took us two Sundays to cover it. Um, but the underlying idea when God says that I am slow to anger, what that means is, is that God, when He witnesses us doing things that are destructive to myself or to you, it makes God angry. You mean God gets angry? I thought God was Santa Claus just without the red suit and the reindeer. And He never got He was just a happy, jolly, no, no, no. He's a real person with real emotions. He gets angry. When he sees us do things that harm us or harm others, it makes him mad. Just like it would you or me. But God waits. He's not rash. He's not impulsive. He's not capricious. He's not 
you know, he doesn't, uh, he's not, it's not uncontrolled anger, but when he sees us doing things that harm ourselves or harm others, it grieves him at his core, but he waits. He's giving us time. He, he not only waits, he's giving us warnings. Please stop, please stop, please stop. And he waits and he warns and he waits and he warns. But the Bible declares that there comes a moment when God says, okay, I'm going to let you have your way. I'm going to let you experience that, the consequences of what you are determined to experience. We looked at that. We talked about that. Doesn't mean God doesn't forgive. It doesn't mean that God stops. Look, His anger doesn't stop His love. Right? But He doesn't get angry. But He's slow to anger. And so today we're going to look at um, the fourth quality that God declares about Himself. And that is that God is a God of covenant love. Now, Mom, when you read that today, and Chris, when you sang about that today, I don't think y'all used the word covenant love, okay? And there's, we'll talk about that. That's, that's what we're going to talk about today. But um, it says that Yahweh is a God of covenant love. And so just to give you a little, part of what we do up here is not, our goal is not just to teach you what a specific verse or passage or story means. Part of our goal, part of our responsibility is to help you see how to not only study that verse or passage, but how to study all of the Bible. And one of the principles that is true of, of all of the Bible is the challenge that Bible translators have faced for at least three, if not 4,000 years, um, of how do you translate words in one language from one time period, from one culture, into modern English for us? Now this would, you know, it would be other languages if we were in other countries. But uh, how do you do that? And that is not a challenge for the faint of heart. It is very hard to translate words from one language, especially an ancient language, into a different language, especially a modern language. And modern languages continue to change. Yes. So after another 10, 15, 20 years, words change meaning, and then therefore the connotation in the English language or whatever yes. changes again. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that's true about the Bible, and it's true about all languages, is that there are many. This is not random. This is not isolated. This is not special. Throughout all languages, including the Hebrew language that the Old Testament was written in, all languages have words that are not translatable. Rita would know this better than many of us because she's fluent in another language. Um, there is no one-for-one one transfer from this word in one language to this word 
in another language. They're, they're, they're not translatable. They're not compatible. Therefore, it takes several words in a new language, in a different language, to convey the meaning in the language, the original language that you're trying to express that, uh, that idea. Um, Shirley and I lived in Belgium, which is over in uh, Europe, uh, right above France, right below England, and right beside Holland, or Nederland. And uh, we lived there for four years, and we learned Dutch. And uh, uh, it, was, it was one of the best four years we've, we ever had in our lives. We loved living there. Dutch was a challenge to learn. But we learned it, because I had to teach in it. I had to preach in it every day. And um, so we had to learn all this, and, and it became very clear to us that there are words in the Dutch language that there's not a word in English. And so you've got to combine words use many words to convey a, a, a simple idea in the Dutch language. By example, do you have a couple of examples? Oh. Yeah. I do. Okay. Um, so my favorite, our favorite word, I think, is family from the, in the Dutch language, language is a word, gezellig. Yeah. And what a it great means, word. it's a good word. And what it means mm -hmm. is, like if you were to translate it word for word into English, the word would be cozy. Um, but it's, it, the, Much bigger it's a big that. word. Gezellig is um, like if you're sitting in someone's house, and you've had a great night, and you've had, you're maybe on your back porch, and everyone is happy. It's been good conversation, and it's really time to go, but the hostess says, um, you want one more little bit of coffee, and you actually don't want any more coffee. But what you do want is to keep that feeling of yeah, see, cozy. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Coziness is weird in English, but... So you say, yes, I'll stay, or yes, I'll have the coffee, or, because you, you like that feeling of togetherness. You, you, it's everybody's kiselic. tired, everybody wants to go home, but you, nobody goes home, because they don't want to lose that. That, whatever it is that was created in that, you can't manipulate it, you can't force it, but when it clicks, you've been doing it in a, in a party, when it just clicks, and you feel happy and safe and at home and everybody's chatting and, and, and you, don't want to, you don't want to lose it. It can happen in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, too, yes. which is really good. Yes. Just a really good conversation. I was in a writing group this week that was very cozy. Yeah. It was better than that. It, we, were, we, we shared stuff. It was really good. I think no one wanted to leave. It was hezelig. Yeah, it was a like, Yeah, it was. That's lovely. Yeah. It's a great. Got another one? This one's harder. Um, there's a word. <sighs> I love this word. It's off Bella. That's the word. But it, so if I had a date to have a coffee with someone and then that person at the very last minute texted and said, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't make it. I might say to Larry, this is, it's kind of negative, right? I might say to Larry, mm, well, she just canceled. She, she said she wasn't feeling well, but really she just want, didn't want to get out of bed. Or, or she got a better offer. Uh, or a better offer. Yeah, she got a better offer. Yeah, 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 yeah. She sort of shafted you. We would say, well, I just got shafted. Yeah. But, but that, you see what I'm saying? It's a, it's a if you do a word-for-word -word translation, Bella means to cancel, but it does, more, that's it's not... Way more, it's a... You would only say it in a, like, a, dang, she just shafted me. She got a better offer yeah. is good. She like, didn't want to get out of bed to come see me. Yeah, what's that? that? Yeah. Yeah. So. I've, um, 
they have me off her belt. Yeah. She, yeah. she, belt, she blew me off. Yeah. yeah. There's l lots of words like that in every language. There's lots of words like that in the Bible. And that's what makes Bible translation challenging. That's why if I went around this room and picked any verse in the Bible just about, well, that's not true. If I picked hundreds, maybe thousands of verses, and I got each of you to read them out of your Bible translation, they would be different. They would say basically the same thing, but they would be different words, and that's because the translators are struggling to find a way to communicate the idea that was written 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. So it's a very challenging, by example, the word hevel. Um, in the translation that most of us would remember in Ecclesiastes, King Solomon says, something, something, all is something. Meaningless. Okay, uh, well the original word, vanity. Vanity. We would yeah. say, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Well the word hevel in the Hebrew language just means smoke. Mm. Or, or mist. They would, yeah, mist, morning mist, or the smoke from a fire. What Solomon says is, mist, mist, all is mist. Well, that's not what he means, right? He, he means um, uh, 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 meaningless or vanity. But really what he's saying is, if you want to study this in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's saying that everything in life is temporary. Everything is fleeting. But it's not just fleeting and temporary. There's a little added nuance, and that is everything is paradoxical. Everything has some form of contradiction to it. My point is simple. Translating Bible words is very, very Hard. Sometimes people will argue that there are discrepancies within the, the, the Bible, and that is a hard conversation to have, but, and, and, but that's, sometimes that's just sheer language. Yes. The language yes. itself yes. is impossible to completely it, some translate. Yeah. Yes, and therefore, one of a, a, a huge value that we share as students of God's Word is how important it is that we remain humble as we try to study, read the Bible, study the Bible, teach the Bible, develop a system of beliefs and uh, doctrines and principles to live by. We need to be very careful about being too black and white, hardline, hard-nosed, uh, unbending condemning of other Christians or other Christian groups that would interpret it differently. It is not an easy thing to interpret and really grasp what the Bible writers were trying to say. I'm not suggesting that it's not worth the effort. We just need to be humble about it. Uh, we just need to be humble about it. That's, that's the point. Um, okay. So today, we're looking at Yahweh's declaration to Moses and through Moses to us that He is a God of covenant love. Hebrew, Hebrew word for that is the word hesed. H-E-S-E-D. Hesed. 
And that word hesed is used, it's a big word in the Bible, as far as number of times that the Bible writers use it. It's used uh, about 250 times in the Bible. And about half of those times, 50% of all the times that hesed is used in the Bible, it's used in the Psalms. Wonder why? Wonder why that idea of God's covenant love would be the weight is you know it's it's heavily weighted in the Psalms versus other books, prophetic books, uh, historic books. Any any idea? Any thought? Mm. We haven't talked about no, this. I just haven't. it hit me this morning that that it's the psalmist that really grasped this word of covenant love. Well, he's, a, a lot of the Psalms, he's in despair. He's afraid, he's hiding. He's, so um, if I were in despair and hiding in a cave, I would want to be assured, reassured, that I hadn't been forgotten, yeah. that there's a covenant love that's pursuing me even when an enemy is pursuing me. Um, so maybe some of that. That's good, that's a good, yes, I like that. It's also a lot of praise. Yes. A great deal of praise. A realization that I, I'm the beneficiary of this covenant love. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. good. Thank you. I, I wasn't thinking about that. 75% um, of the time in the Bible, when the Bible uses the word hesed or covenant love, it's talking about how God relates to us. 25% of the time, it's used in how people are relating to other people. Hesed is one of those words, there is no word in the English language, but I'm going to add to that, there is no word in any other language that we know of that has the word hesed. Or the word that would mean hesed. It's, hesed is a very unique, a very special word uh, in the Bible. And let me just give you if, you, if you look up in your Bible no matter what your translation would be, of Exodus 34, verse 6. Let me give you some of the words that you might see for covenant love. You might see the phrase covenant love, sacrificial love, loyal love, unfailing love. Now, if you get older back, your translation goes back to like King Jimmy or some of those really old translations. You might see mercy, loving kindness, or enduring commitment. So, well, all of the, they use all those words to convey the same idea. That should speak to us, wow, they're struggling. They're struggling to find English words to convey a deep, rich, multifaceted idea in Hebrew, which is the word hesed. Uh, Psalm 1, 2, 3 says this. I love this verse. We look to Yahweh for his hesed. As a servant looks to his master, as a slave girl looks to her mistress. Have hesed on us, Lord. Have hesed. For we have had our fill of contempt. Can you hear the, the writer there? I live in a world that is full of harsh, mean, angry, critical, 
condemning, contemptuous people. My family, it's, I get so tired of these people. My community, my government, my world, I, where I work, my neighbors, I, everybody's so angry. Everybody's so mean. God, I'm tired. I'm tired of all this. I look to you for hesed. I long to experience that which, really what he's saying, I long to receive from you that which only you can give me. Psalm 145 says, did you have something you want to say? Okay. Psalm 145 says that Yahweh is merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, and filled with hesed. He's filled. It literally just, it starts in his toes and just starts, goes all the way up and bubbles out his eyeballs and his ears. He's filled with hesed. In all my studies, or in all of our studies of this idea of hesed, the, the picture that the really smart people that I've studied to try to understand this, keep, and they kept going back to is this picture. If you want to know what hesed looks like, imagine an old man or an old woman married to somebody. They've been married for 50, 60, 70 years. And their mate is very, very sick. So sick that they're not going to get better and they cannot take care of themselves. And this old man or this old woman begins on a day-to-day -day basis to give them bath. He gives his wife a bath, feeds her, every morning brushes her hair, puts on her clothes, Sits her in the takes her out of bed and sits her in the living room, talks to her, reads to her, loves on her. The lady can't respond. There's there's no reciprocity. There's no he doesn't receive anything. He cannot. He does not expect anything. But where that could be true of what I just described of just a really great nurse that you're paying good money to take care of this person, right? But it's not a nurse. There's, a, there's an added part to the word hesed, and that is that this husband, this wife, who's taking care of their, their spouse, it's not just that they do it, and they do it well. This care, this sacrificial investment, it's not just that they do it, and they do it faithfully and well, but they find delight in doing it. They, hey, mom, that's too much for you. You're going to wear yourself out. Don't, we'll hire somebody. And mom whirls around and says, no. Mm -mm. I want to do this. I want, no denial that it's hard, but no, I've taken, it's sort of like, what's that movie I love so much about that old dude that took care of his wife? A notebook. In the notebook. Yeah. And that dude was at that old folks' home and his wife, his wife didn't even know who he, who he was. But his kids come and says, Dad, come on, you come home with us and, and we'll, we'll, we'll hire somebody. No, I will not do that. That's Hesed. I give care. I give attention. 
I show sacrificial investment and ministry, but it's not, it is dutiful, but it's duty that is fulfilled with delight. God says, that's how I love you. We were both blessed to be able to watch our mothers yes. care yes. for our fathers yes. like that in their passing. Yes. And Day so in. You know it when yes. you see it. And they could have both chosen a, a, an easier road that is not unreasonable, not beating, not bad. And I don't want to make anybody think otherwise. But we just happen to both have moms who could have chosen a different road of care. And they said, no, we want to do it. And, I, and we do it. Um, anybody, any, you were thinking of... Yeah, we were talking about this in the car yesterday and, and two uh, people that you may have heard of. Well, probably not. But back in the 70s, there was a woman who was a writer and a painter named Joni. Erickson Tata, it's a long time ago. And anyway, she, as a teenager, I think, dove into a lake and it was too shallow and she broke her neck. Some of you will remember that if you're our age. And uh, anyway, so that's that. And she was paralyzed from the neck down. And you know, a few years later, some guy whose last name is Tata, I've forgotten his first name. Um, anyway. edit that out, um, fell in love with her. And who he fell in love with was this wonderfully talented, brilliant writer, painter, who was now paralyzed from the waist down, and he understood fully what he was, who he was marrying. And the reason I thought about her is the other day on social media, there you scroll, scroll, and uh, she, had, she paints now still with her mouth. And so she has painted this, these beautiful pictures of the mountains. They were up in the mountains. And I thought, well, I knew we were doing this, and I thought, yeah, that's, ex that's exactly it. Or a guy we uh, went to high school with named Scott Coleman. Exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, he was a junior in high school, I think, and had a skiing accident and broke his neck. And, that, and then that was years before anybody had social media or anything. So we all graduated and, and, and that's it. I never saw him again. And then he came to some reunion and he was married and with this, this beautiful wife. Yeah. Same story. She knew what she was getting into. What she was getting yeah. into. When, yeah. yeah. And chose to do it. So there's the practical, sacrificial, hard, faithful, daily forever investment but it's joined with this idea of delight it's not it's not just skilled nursing which is great but it's also not just a, a loving family member who goes I love you but I'm not gonna stay up here every day and take care of you I'm not gonna do that it's the combination of both of those that's what has it is it's the idea, in fact, the word has said is used to describe uh, when Abraham told his nephew Lot, you pick the best land first. I'll take the leftovers. I deserve not only the best pick, it's all mine. But I'm going to give you first pick because I want you to experience abundance. 
It's used to describe, uh, it's a beautiful picture, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, is laying on his deathbed in Egypt. And he's about to die, and he calls his son Joseph into the room and says, Hey, I'm about to die. I do not want to be buried in Egypt. I want to be buried next to my granddaddy and my dad back in the promised land. When I die, I want you to, he says, I want you to show me Hesed by taking my body back to the promised land so I can be buried with my family. And the Bible says, Joseph showed his dad Hesed. Um, who else? Oh, uh, uh, Dave, the Bible says that David showed Jonathan Hesed protection. Jonathan says, when you become king, please don't kill my family. And David says, I will not. I will not harm your family when I become king. And the Bible says that David showed Jonathan Hesed. And the Bible says that Jonathan showed David Hesed. When Jonathan said, I will not. I'm going to support you. I'm going to sacrificially lay down my rights to be the king to help you become the king. Jonathan showed David Hesed. Um, David showed Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, Hesed. Um, who else? Uh, who else did I write down? Oh yeah, great one. Story of Hosea and Gomer. This prophet of God, God tells him to marry a pretty way out there lady. And uh, he marries her, gives her this great life, gives her a home and a family and everything. One day he goes home and she's gone. She's out partying. And I mean really partying. And uh, uh, it breaks uh, Hosea's heart. And the Bible says that at God's bidding, Hosea went and found his wife, paid off all of her debts, and brought her home and gave her a new life. He gave her restoration. He gave her, he restored that which she had thrown away. Probably the most beautiful example. And the Bible says that Hosea showed Gomer Hesed. It has nothing to do with what anyone deserves. Yes, none of these people deserve this. And it wasn't just dutiful. That was a part of it. But it was, there was a delight. These people... Joseph loved Jacob. Hosea loved Gomer. David loved Jonathan. Jonathan loved David. And the list goes on and on and on. The most beautiful example to me, and I want you to look up Ruth, um, is Ruth and Naomi. The Bible says that, in fact, it's, it's um, Boaz. Boaz says, everyone in Israel has watched you, Ruth, show Hesed to your mother-in-law. Naomi had nothing. No family, no wealth, no influence, no name, no nothing. And Ruth, uh, and Naomi, because she loved Ruth, said, baby, you, you're young. You've got a life ahead of you. Go back to your people. Get married again. Have a family. Make something of yourself. Make, give yourself a great future. You've been kind to me, but enough's enough. Go home. And Ruth says, I will not. I will not go home. Read what she says. She says, Ruth replied, do not ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. 
Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. You hear that? I mean, who says that? What's in it for me? How are you? What am I going to get out of this deal? What's, what's the reciprocity? There is none. I have nothing. Ruth, I have nothing to offer you. She said, that's fine. I will spend my life committed to your good. One who lovingly and sacrificially and faithfully and delightfully kept her word to do good to her mother-in-law. That's who Ruth was. Do you see? This isn't something that she... It's not so much that she chose to do it. In fact, in all of these examples that I gave you, if you really think about the lives of these people, this isn't something that they just decide like you would stop and help somebody with a flat tire. This is a part of their identity. This is who these people are. They didn't, there was no battle, there was no struggle. I better go talk to a counselor, see if, you know, weigh out my options. What's the, no, no, no. They, they, they were faced with these incredible challenges. And they understood on the front end there was nothing they were going to get in return. But challenge, but difficulty, but sacrifice. And it's almost like it flowed out of them, this delight, I will do it. I will do it. There are many people in the Bible that the Bible would use to illustrate the idea of hesed. But the person in the Bible that consistently reveals the meaning of hesed is God himself. God displays hesed the best. Read, did I tell you to look up Psalm 136? You did. Look up Psalm 136 and read just, read just a few verses, 20, verses 23 through 26, please. Okay. Remember, what I'm wanting you to see here is, this isn't a, something that God chose to do, although I guess that's true, but it's more than that. Hesed is not something God chose. It's who God is at His core. If you cut Him, what bleeds out is hesed. He, yeah, read those verses. Please. He remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. His faithful love, his hesed endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. Hmm. We have an interesting um, situation, I think, as human beings Hesed is who God is. I liked what you said, if you cut him, what he bleeds. Well, that happened, didn't it? Mm-hmm. He was cut. And what huh. bled yes. was the covenant love. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, we have, um, the, the, uh, uh, we're given the gift of choice. And so, of course, Jesus did too. Um, and I think the, the point I want to say here is, I was listening to that whole list of people that Larry taught, you know, um, Ruth and um, Joseph. Joseph and David and everybody. Naomi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you become what we become as human beings, what we choose to practice. And so Man. Man. we know that's true, right? If you want to get strong, you work out. If you want to become a better singer or a better musician, you practice. So we, we become better at what we practice. Mm. And so um, mm. this, is, this is how God, I mean, Jesus I mean, is yeah. the example, right? So this is how God wants us to be. And it's overwhelming because I don't, you know, it's hard to love everybody. But, and be nice to everybody and to, and to do it with joy and to do it with delight. But Ruth could do it because she'd been practicing it. Dang. So Dang. I think that's an important point. Yeah, it is. For us as folks who take notes in the, I do, take notes in our thing and I look at it later and I'm like, that was really, that was a really good sermon. That's a good note. And then the very next thing that happens, I forget all of that and act straight out of the flesh and say, well, you get what you, you don't deserve that from me. You deserve this from me because you, mm. whereas that's, that, that those, for, I would think, I do think that those first choices of ours to love unconditionally, to love in covenant, to forgive unconditionally, those things don't make sense, but though to, in logic sometimes, but that mm. practice, that those first steps perhaps are the hardest. And then it grows. And that makes perfect sense in other areas of life. You know, a, 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 a soldier or a policeman goes through years of training and then all of a sudden they're plopped into a situation full of danger. They're not thinking they just sort of kick into what they've been practicing for years. It just, it's, it is, it's become who they are. It's, it's not that they, okay, now step one is, you know, cock your gun. And no, 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 it's, 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 and the same with musicians. I'm sure there was a time when all those guys back there, they had to think about what they were, I can, I can call those guys right up here and ask them to do pretty much anything musically. They would just immediately do it. Because they have been, as you said, practicing something for years. And it would be true in, in many, many areas of like medicine. There was a time when doctors had to think about the steps that they would go through to help somebody. But an emergency takes place and they've been practicing for years and all of a sudden they just sort of kick in. It becomes automatic. Oh, that we would see that we become what we practice. And I was thinking about this verse, Shirley. I didn't know you were going to say that in Micah 6. Micah the prophet says, The Lord has told you what is good and what He expects of you. To do right, to love Hesed, and to walk humbly. Was the Lord, wonder what the Lord's will is for me today. I want you to practice Hesed. I want you to practice Hesed. This, this, I'm, I, I will do what I know God wants me to do in the lives of others because it's important 
it matters. It's going to be sacrificial. It might be unpleasant. It could be costly, but I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. But as I do it, I look to God to give me a supernatural delight in this annoying, ungrateful, possibly irritating, non-reciprocal person because that's what God has called us to do. Think about it and we'll end with this. I want it before you I, please, what you please. just said, you know, we do it because it matters. I'd like to change the pronoun and say we also do it because I, I, I do it or I want to do it, I should do it. I do it because I matter to God. Right? You matter to God. So my love, my hesed, my mercy, whatever that I show to you is important because you matter to God. But my doing it matters to God. He wants me to become that. He loves me. And so he says, if you do that, if you show love like that, then you become a person of love. Yes. Think about um, everyone in this room is different. Different backgrounds, experiences, situations, relationships. Everyone is different. But I know two things about every one of us in this room. Everybody in this room longs for deep, rich, meaningful relationships. If you say you don't, you're a liar. Or you're a babbling moron. That's only two explanations I can think of. We all want rich, deep relationships. And every one of us want lives of impact. We want to go out of this world with the belief that the world is a little better because I was here. My life mattered. I left it better than I found it. Everybody longs for that impact in relationships. Do you know the person who's most likely to have a boatload of deep, rich, great relationships and the person that's most likely to leave the world better, to have had impact, to have had a life that mattered? A person who is practiced to the point that it becomes their identity, a person of Hesed. A person that understands that there are going to be moments throughout life where I am called upon to sacrificially minister to someone else, help someone, better them. But not just to do it because I have to do it, but I do it because I, I see them like God sees them. And because I get a glimpse of them through the eyes of God, I love them. I love them. And I want to do it. Maybe not all the time. Maybe not 24-7. But even if it's for a moment, that matters. That matters. Hosea, dude that married Gomer, he says this, your Hesed, your Hesed, 
vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like the morning dew. But what he's saying is, but Yahweh's doesn't. Yahweh's Hesed, his covenant love, it never vanishes. It never disappears. On our best day, on our worst day, Yahweh loves us. And he is going to be investing in our lives when we're running to him and when we're running away from him. When we are a part of the plan and when we are messing the plan up, God's chesed, his covenant love is displayed toward us every day. Just like um, that, I'll read this one last verse and we'll be through. Yahweh's chesed toward people is toward people who fear him. It's as great as the heights of the heavens above the earth. For that high is how high God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. I want us to leave here today and I just ask God, God, would you give us a glimpse? If it's just for a moment, would you give us a glimpse of how loved we are. How you see us and feel about us and respond to us. If we could just get a glimpse of that for just a moment like a blind man who's been blind his whole life and for a moment his eyes can see and he looks up into a dark sky and sees the stars. Even if he sees it for a minute and then goes blind again. Could he ever forget it? Would that not define his life forever? I saw that. Oh, that we could see that God loves us like that. He loves us like that. No matter what we've been told, no matter how we feel about ourselves, he loves us like that. Oh, that we would see it and believe it and cling to that all of our days. Thank you. Anything else, friend? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> yes. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Apostle John, who was he had the most intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus of any of the disciples. When he began his gospel, the gospel of John, one of the very first sentences that he wrote is that the Lord Jesus Christ was full of hesed. Full of God's covenant love. It's what drove him energized him, led him, dictated him. He was full of God's hesed. We take bread. And wine or juice. And we 
take a moment at the end of every service each week just to eat and drink. And we do it to celebrate the Hesed of Jesus Christ, His covenant love that He has committed to us, the love that He committed to Abraham. I've chosen you. I've made you mine. And I'm committed to blessing you and to protecting you. And I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. And I'm going to do that for you and your son and your grandson. And I'm going to do it for all of your descendants who will wind up being like the stars of the heavens. That includes you and me. God didn't just make that promise to Abraham. He made it to you and to me. I love you like that. And to me, that's worth celebrating. It's worth being reminded of and it's worth celebrating. And so, I want to ask you just to take a moment. There's no rush. Um, just take a moment in your seat with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And uh, just ponder, ponder God's loving kindness towards you, God's mercy, God's compassion, God's goodness, His covenant love. When you're ready, when you're ready, you come up and you take bread and wine or juice and you eat and you drink just as a way of declaring, I'm thankful. I'm thankful.